Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host, Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC Vegas 20, Jerzinho Rosenstrike versus Cyril Ghana. And Shaq, it's going down tomorrow night, Saturday, in Las Vegas, Nevada. Two big boys in the heavy, two big boys in the main event. We got the number four, Jerzinho Rosenstrike, taking on the number seven, Cyril Ghana. You know there's title implications in this fight. That The winner is going to be one step closer to that elusive UFC title shot. Yeah, this is a great fight. The heavyweight division's booming right now. We got contenders, we got prospects, and, and these guys are, are contenders in my opinion. They, they've got signature wins over junior, guys like Junior Dos Santos, Alistair Overeem. So I'm excited for this main event. Jarzinho Rosenstrike, he, he's responsible, at least in the last uh, couple of years, of some of the most spectacular knockouts in the UFC. And Cyril Gunn, he, he's been a, a serious hype prospect uh, since he made his debut, we know he comes from Francis's gym back in France, and uh, Coach Coach, uh, what's his name, Ferdinand? I mean, he's been he's been doing good things down there, so I'm excited. Yeah, uh, Coach Fernand Lopez. Not only is he responsible for Cyril Ghana, he's also responsible for discovering Francis Ngannou. And when you talk about the up-and-coming heavyweights, I mean, look, Jerzinho Rosenstrike, he hasn't fought for a title yet. Cyril Ghana hasn't fought for a title yet. But look at all these. Look at the new wave of heavyweight. We got. England's Tom Aspinall, America's Chris Dacus, Moldova's Alexander Romanov, and Ukraine's Sergei Spivak. So it's kind of safe to say that the heavyweight division is the most exciting that it's been in years, Shaq. 100%. Uh, and then, you you know, those names that you just mentioned, and then you got these guys uh, like Francis Ngannou, who's fighting for the title. We know who he's been through. We look at Derek Lewis. Derek Lewis just proved it. I mean, that was one of the most spectacular knockouts uh, in the heavyweight division in a while. I know, I mean, Curtis was looking good until he wasn't, uh, you know. Uh, so we got Lewis. Uh, and then just all the guys in the middle of the pack, those are those are no easy outs as well. And the fact that we got John Jones in the division now, uh, you know, I'm glad John finally moved up from 205. And, and I mean, just look at his uh, the videos he's been posting up, man. He's been putting up, uh, been putting on this size. And I'm interested to see how his style fares at heavyweight. Yeah, no doubt about it. It's going to be amazing to see John Jones get the winner of the Stipe and the Francis fight. And then the winner of this main event with Jerzinho and Cyril is right there behind them. So this is going to be a, a very, very important uh, weekend in the heavyweight division. So we're going to do this whole car start to finish. Uh, we're going to talk about our sponsor, Manscaped, here in a sec. But first, uh, all our fans, do us a favor. Give us a like uh, and a subscribe. Uh, we really appreciate it. Got my boy, Nasty Nate Williams, joining us from the fire station. That's what's up, Nate. Uh you know, oh, my boy, boy yeah, you know, he's a, a best fight pick sponsored athlete and a firefighter and a father. So, you know, uh, shout out to Nasty Nate Williams. I'll look out for him in the UFC soon. But Shaq, uh, before uh, we break this whole car down, start to finish, got to let our fans know. Hey, fellas, we're in the thick of winter and a storm's a brewing. It looks like one to three inches are in the forecast when you trim that hibernation bush that's taking place in your pants. Luckily, our partners at Manscaped specialize in products to make sure you're walking around town with beautiful snowballs. And uh, I mean, it's not just Kevin Holland who's ready for a short notice opportunity. What about Max Holloway putting on record breaking numbers? his last fight against Calvin Cater ever since he started getting sponsored by Manscaped. And the Lawnmower 3.0 trimmer is the best hygiene tool for the modern man. This is what it looks like right here. It's got this unbelievable LED light, so there's no more excuses. And because of their ceramic blade and advanced skin-safe technology, your, sna your snags on your snowballs will be reduced. 
The trimmer is also waterproof, so you can trim in the shower or jacuzzi if you're a savage. Manscaped's performance package is the best buy of 2021. The performance package comes with the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0, the Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, and the the performance boxer briefs, and a travel bag. Have you ever noticed how nasty nose and ear hair is? In fact, 79% of partners polled admitted that long nose hair is a major turnoff. Might as well use the best tools to do the job. This bundle also comes with the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner. The Crop Preserver is anti-chafing ball deodorant that will make your ball smell nice and make you feel like your testes are walking in a winter wonderland. The Crop Reviver is a spray-on toner for your balls. It's made with soothing aloe and witch hazel extracts that will make your balls look up to you and say thanks. Don't get cold feet this winter. Get uh, get 20% off and free shipping with the code BATTLE20 at manscaped.com. They also have a ton of other m- amazing men's hygiene products on their website from disposable mats for your pubes to foot deodorant. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code BATTLE20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code BATTLE20 at manscaped.com. Thanks, Manscaped, for making our winter wieners uh, look so good, Shaq. 100 percent i mean you made some good points there uh, the last thing i'd want is ear and nose hair man so you uh, <laughs> you want to trim those uh trim those up and if you want that output like max holloway a good uh first step is to get to get a uh, to get that thing uh you know groomed cleanly and nicely there's nothing better than that light uh in the shower no nicks no cuts no no uh, little razor bumps man Ma- Ma- uh, manscapes the best in the game Yes, sir. Go to manscaped.com. Use that promo code BATTLE20, all caps, for 20% off and free shipping. Now, Shaq, let's break down this whole car start to finish because first up in the light heavyweight division, we got a matchup between former glory kickboxer and former UFC fighter back in the day, Dustin Jacoby. He's 13-5. and five. He's taking on the very experienced Russian, Maxine Grishin, who's 31-8. and eight. Currently, they got Ju- Dustin Jacoby minus 180. The comeback on Maxine Grishin is plus 155. So, Dustin Jacoby fought in the UFC about 10 years ago. I was actually at his fight at UFC 136. Uh, you know, he, he wasn't quite ready for the octagon at that time. He goes to glory kickboxing and seemed like he had been working on all areas of his game throughout that time. Now he's ready for the UFC. Uh, that UFC return, not debut, that return against uh, Justin Ledette, he handled him accordingly, broke him down with the leg kicks, eventually put him away. And Maxime Grishin, it's been a long time coming for this guy. I mean, we're talking about a guy who beat Alexander Volkov back in the day. Um, there have been some some holes, you know, with the grappling. I don't exactly think that Dustin Jacoby is going to exploit that here. I think that it's actually going to be played out in the realm which Maxine Grishin prefers, which is the stand-up. The only issue with that is that's exactly where Dustin Jacoby wants to fight as well. And we have seen Maxine Grishin put away before. I'm talking about back when he fought Anka Leave. Uh, I know you remember that fourth-round knockout, Shaq. So I'm going to actually go with Dustin Jacoby here. Look, I know Maxine Grishin is the more experienced guy in MMA. Maybe he can mix it up and get this to the map. But I think the difference in level here on the feet is big enough to where I'll go with the favorite, Dustin Jacoby, to get it done, Shaq. Yeah, Maxine Grishin, he came in. He fought at heavyweight against Tybora. Then he uh, got the nice win over the stuntmaster. That's what I like to call him, stuntmaster or stunt stunt Tigilov. Um, What's his first name? I forget how to say yeah, it. Yeah, Dehimarad. Uh, yeah, you know, that guy. Uh, and then Jacoby took care of business on another can as well. So I, 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 I kind of do feel like this 
could be somewhat of an even playing field. I feel like Jacoby's more powerful, willing to take more chances on the feet, got the low kicks, the harder strikes in my opinion. But we do know sometimes these Russian guys like Maxine Grisham from that area, they can cause their opponents to be a little, uh, a little hesitant, make them, you know, not as aggressive. So we'll see what happens. Maxine Grisham is a guy, you know, it's tough because I, I think, uh, I think it could be lined a little closer, but yeah, I, I do lean Jacoby still, but from a betting perspective, I think it could be Dogger pass just due to the fact that, you know, these Russians, sometimes they can make a slow fight and then this, uh, it narrows the gap in that line, in my opinion. Um, it, you know, Justin Jacoby, like we said, uh, Justin Ledet, I mean, that guy shouldn't be fighting anymore, in my opinion. I mean, he lost to Alexa Kamora, and Alexa Kamora, in my opinion, isn't even, I'm not sure if he's UFC caliber. So uh, I'm going to go with uh, Dustin Jacoby, but it, it's a very slight margin. Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, we got a match between Ronnie the Heat Lawrence. He's 6-1, and one, and Vince Cachero is 7-3. and three. Currently, they got Ronnie Lawrence minus 160. The comeback on Vince Cachero is plus 140. So, interestingly enough, I actually just remember that about four years ago, Shaq, uh, I had Ronnie Lawrence on half the battle when he was going to fight in Valor. I was promoting this Valor show, and um, he was fighting... Um, this kid, Brandon Webb, who's actually a NFC veteran, Ronnie Lawrence ends up winning the fight via second round TKO. But back then, he said that his style was very influenced by Dominic Cruz and TJ Dillashaw. And it's interesting because he works his way up to his contender series opportunity. And the guy goes out there and scores 12 takedowns, which obviously DraftKings players are taking note. Uh, anyone looking at the stats is taking note. Now, I know the level of competition he fought on Contender Series. You know, that opponent probably isn't going to make it to the UFC anytime soon. But luckily for him here, Vince Cachero's biggest weakness has been his takedown uh, defense. He has been taken down many times. But I got to give Cachero a lot of credit because the level of competition he's fought it, it is obviously far superior to to that of Ronnie Lawrence. I mean, uh, Vince Cachero's been in there with guys like Casey Kenny, been in there with Jamal Emmers. But the thing is, he got wiped out in those fights, Shaq. You know, he got knocked out viciously against Casey Kenny. He got absolutely dismantled against Jamal Emmers, taken down five times. So even though, uh, in theory, this is a step up in competition for Ronnie Lawrence, I, I think this is a test that he can pass. And interestingly enough, if you actually hear what Dana White said about Ronnie Lawrence and when he signed him, he was very, very impressed. He sees something in this kid. Now, I'm not sure if I'm as excited as Dana was when he when he signed it. But when you hear Dana talk like that, I want to know if he knows something we don't know. I mean, this guy's been running the business for how long? So maybe the matchmakers see something in this kid. I want to know firsthand because now it's the UFC level. This ain't the local show no more. So I got to see how he performs. But the pick is going to be Ronnie Lawrence here. Yeah, Vince Cachero's a tough guy. Like you said, he's been in there with Casey Kenny, uh, Jamal Emers. He also lost another fight to a to a foreign guy uh, in LFA by by a close decision. Um, I'm really not impressed with Vince Cachero, man. I honestly feel like he wouldn't be in the UFC hadn't Jamal Emers' opponent pulled out late notice, and they just needed to find uh, you know find anyone. Um, like I said, he lost. Not only to Casey Kinney, but another guy as well due to their wrestling and the fact that he kind of slows down. And just in my opinion, he has a very basic style. He's a he's a Hawaii banger that's looking to looking to throw. And there's really not much depth in his game, in my opinion. I feel like Lawrence mixes it up a lot better, just comes at you and a lot more. He can strike. He can wrestle. Um, 
I, I, I honestly see feel like he's a, a, a like a younger a younger fresher version of uh, Charles Rosa a little bit, but just like you know younger, just uh, a lot more healthier, kind of like similar similar striking style. So um, I think Lawrence should get the win just by being more active, uh, just mixing it up. I liked it. I honestly liked his performance against uh, the guy on Contender Series. That dude was about 5'10", 5'11", huge bantamweight. And Lawrence mixed it up nice. He fought well in every single position in the clinch, on the ground, on the feet. Yeah, his boxing might be uh, probably the weakness in the game, and that is Cachero's strength, I, I, I would say. But I just think Cachero... It just really doesn't bring anything special. Just, you know, tough kid, but just, I don't know if he really has anything that has anything for Ronnie Lawrence, uh, particularly. So I'm going to go with Ronnie Lawrence by, you know, tough, hard uh, decision, 15 minutes, just putting the pace on Vince Conchero, coming at him in different ways, mixing, mixing, uh, mixing his game up, mixing the strikes with the takedowns and getting the win. Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, we got a matchup between former title challenger Alexis Davis. She's 19 and 10, and Colombia's Sabina Mazo is 9 and 1. Currently, they got Sabina Mazo minus 210. The comeback on Alexis Davis is plus 175. So, Shaq, 13-year uh, age gap here in this matchup between the former title challenger and the up-and-coming prospect Sabina Mazo, who trains at Kings MMA. Mazo, obviously known for those vicious head kicks, uh, she got a nice submission winner last fight, had to overcome adversity, did so fine. What, uh, what do you think about this matchup here? Yeah, Mazo, very solid prospect, young, hungry. Like you said, Kings MMA around some very good people like Dariush, like Vittori, Kelvin, my boy Danilo Marquez. I know Danilo Marquez is, has been surprising a lot of people out of Kings MMA. So Kings MMA is doing their thing doing their thing uh, these days. And Sabina Mazo, I, I was actually on her last fight against Keish. I think Mazo's issue really is just the slow starting, you know, uh, coming early in, in some of these fights, it just kind of seems like she ain't fully awake yet. But about that halfway mark in the second round is when she starts to pick it up and, and really uh, come after these girls with the head kick. And it's hard to pick up that head kick. She She's bringing that leg, uh, kind of like Cerrone style back in the day, you know, prime Cerrone bringing that, that uh, high kick up that you can't see, and you're like, damn, I didn't even see that coming. So I, I really like Mazo, uh, especially in the late rounds in, in these fights. Alexis Davis, look, definitely has accomplished a lot more in her career, been there, done all that, and I get the last uh, few losses have been the top competition, whether that be uh, VV or Jennifer Maya or uh, who was the other loss? And Chukagan. So, yeah, the 100% that those girls are definitely a, a level above Sabina Mazo. I agree. But the damage that Alexis Davis has been taking in some of these fights, I recall saying I actually faded her against Vivian. And the thing I was saying, man, I was saying back then, I think that she might need to retire because I just think, like, her face swells up too easily. Uh, I think she's got that scar tissue problem, The you know, the DS scar tissue problem, the uh, – you know, when too much guard tissue accumulates up there, I mean, she gets cut very easily. <laughs> In my opinion, she's a borderline punching bag on the feet. Um, she does she does have a, a, a jiu-jitsu black belt game. But one thing I want to say is, yeah, Mazo gave up a takedown against Keish. Uh, Marina Moroz took her down several times as well. But I don't. if you actually watch the fights, Alexis Davis ain't really getting the takedowns. The, the How she got on top against Viviani was a leg lock sweep. Um, 
Jeffrey Maya was a kick caught. And so she hasn't necessarily initiated a double leg and gotten it in a, in a long time, in my opinion. So I actually think if Sabina can avoid one of these kicks getting caught, I don't think she has to come from behind in this one. And I like the 13-year age gap. I think Mazo's getting more comfortable. She's moving up a weight class. Apparently, she had a very, very bad weight cut for the uh, to the, for the Justine Quiche fight, and it makes sense. I mean, she is a very big girl. Um, Alexis Davis is also moving up. She did take some time, but I'm gonna go with the the younger side here. I like the this age gap type of spot. It was kind of the similar thing with Justine Quiche, uh, more than ten year age gap as well. So I, I'm uh, I'm agreeing with this one too. I think Alexis Davis just takes too much damage, doesn't make adjustments in fights, and, and I think she will get lit up on Saturday night. Yeah, if y'all haven't seen that Alexis Davis or Cindy Dandoff fight, uh, go back and rewatch it because that's a uh, you know for hardcore fans like one of the funniest fights uh, that you'll ever see. But basically, what what I think about this matchup, guys, is that I I think that. Alexis Davis is going to have to get multiple takedowns in this spot for her to win. And the last time that she got more than one takedown in a fight was in 2014 versus Jessica. I. So since that point, she's, she hasn't landed more than one takedown in a single fight. Only one takedown is not going to win her this fight. The striking difference. I mean, the differential in volume is huge. The difference in technique is big. The difference in defense is big. Um, I mean, the age gap, I, I, I just see Sabina Mazo outpointing uh, Alexis Davis. But I think eventually at some point she will land that signature high kick and she will knock her out. So I'm going to go with uh, Sabina Mazo to, to get it done here and probably decisively too. Now, next up in the welterweight division, we got a matchup between Alex Cowboy Oliveira. He's 22 and 9. And the newcomer, Ramazan Kuramagomedov, is 8 and 0. Currently, they got Alex Cowboy, minus 110, and Ramazan Kuramagomedov, also minus 110. So we're very familiar with Ramazan Kuramagomedov because uh, when he was 22 years old, he fought one of our guys. Uh, shout out to Best Fight Big Sponsored Athlete, Robert King Hale. They fought in PFL. If you watch that fight, you know, PFL only allows you to have one sponsor. I know you all saw that Best Fight Big's uh, logo on Robert Hale's shorts, uh, and it was a hell of a fight. You look at the numbers there. Uh, Robert Hale landed over 100 head strikes, and I know that guy hits really damn hard. So that means Ramazan Kuramagomedov, he's got a very good chin. And when you talk about his skills, the guy's massive for the weight class. He can kick very hard. If he needs to coast, he can coast like, like a lot of Russians do. But something I like about him is he's got that flash as well, man. I mean, uh, he knows how to spin. He knows how to throw those flying knees. Um so he's got all the things you love about the Russian fighters, but he's also got a little bit of Zabit in him too. So I'm really happy that the UFC signed him. And with Alex Oliveira, obviously, uh, you know, we love the guy, legend of the sport, had so many fights in the UFC. Um, what he's really known for is that brutal clinch game. He'll pin you up against the fence, land some devastating knees. And, I mean, I know you remember uh, the destruction of Will Brooks back in the day, back when he was, you know, coming off the two wins of against Chandler and everyone was hyping him up and the way Alex Cowboy derailed him. I'll never forget that. And he's had a lot of other great wins along the way, whether it's the Condit fight, even his loss against Yancey Medeiros, that was considered one of the best fights of that year. So Alex Cowboy, I got nothing but good things to say. I know my boy Shaq knows uh, about Cowboy having three baby mamas on the same block. So, you know, my boy Alex Cowboy is getting sure it in. It's more, it's, it's more than that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, we're taking it easy, right? But uh, <laughs> Ramazan Kuramagomedov. So, 
You know, uh, I actually disagree with my boy Dana White uh, when he said that he thought Ramazan lost that fight to Jordan Williams. You know, I actually I did score it for Ramazan. I was one of the few that did. And then Ramazan's in the back. You know, he's busted up and Dana breaks his heart saying uh, that, you know, he wasn't going to sign him that night. You could see Ramazan holding back the tears, but it might have been a blessing in disguise because now he's had more time. Go back to the regional uh, scene, get some more seasoning, some more experience. He smashed his subsequent opponents. And I know this is a short notice opportunity, but I expect uh, Ramazan Kuramagomedov to be in in good shape. And it's only a matter of time before we see if he uh, makes the 171 pound limit, which I expect him to do. So I think Ramazan's going to win this fight, man. I think he's got the size. I think he's got the youth. I think he's well-rounded. I, I like what he brings to the table. So the reason it's a pick is because no one knows who this guy is, but we know who this guy is. I think he's the real deal. And I think he wins this fight Saturday night, Shaq. Yeah, Kuramagomedov is definitely solid, just, uh, you know, solid Russian, you know, like you said, occasional flash, solid fundamentals, trains with Mark Henry. He's been living in the USA for, for quite some time now, so he uh, should be well adjusted. And yeah, I, I, I definitely see success for this guy. Alex Oliveira, man, he's been a little shaky lately, uh, but he's always been kind of shaky. He's very exciting. He's very powerful in the clinch, and this is going to be a step up for Ramazan in, in, in intensity. You know, Alex Oliveira, he brings, I mean, his strikes are just a lot more physical. He's a, he's a lot more, he hits a lot harder than Jordan Williams and, and uh, some of these guys that he's been fighting. Um, Alex Oliveira is just a, is what I like to refer to as a, a grade A stunt puller, man. This guy, uh, you never know what he's going to do. <laughs> um, he, he might come out here and really show Ramazan the ropes and what it takes to be in the UFC, or he might pull a stunt because his last fight, I honestly thought the first couple minutes he was doing good. And then Shavkat just, you know, jumps on a guillotine and, and that's it. And then he, he missed weight for that fight. His performance against Max Griffin, he definitely out physical him and Max Griffin, but Max Griffin really isn't that, isn't as skilled as a, uh, Ramazan Kermagomedov, in my opinion. And what worries me with Alex is just the amount of damage he's been taking throughout the years. Uh, the Yancey Madero's fight. Uh, some of these are the Max Griffin fight. Uh, a lot of the, the Carlos Condit fight. A lot of these fights, man, he, he takes big blows. And, and I think it's finally starting to catch up with him a little bit. The, the Max Griffin performance, I mean, there was a. it's almost like he, he wants to pull his stun. It's almost like he can't help it. So... Uh, I, I see this being a dogfight, man. One, uh, truthfully, honestly, yeah, Kermagomedov's got a lot more tools, but it's going to be a, a, more, a much more intense fight um, than, you know, a fight in Cage Fury or even in the uh, Contender Series versus Jordan Williams, 100%. We're talking about a guy that's been there and done all that. So Alex has definitely got that going for him. It's just I, at some point I see Alex. Well, I know you remember the Mike Perry fight where first round is good, but then Second round is just like, damn, what happened, Alex? You, you just quit. So yeah, I see something similar like that happen. Maybe Alex starts off good, and uh, he's he's touching Ramazan up and, and you know getting the better of the clinch and hold him against the fence. But when the second things don't go his way, man, I, I see Ramazan, uh, you know, just rushing, coasting him for the last two rounds and getting the decision on. Now, next up in the strawweight division, we've got a rematch between Angela Hill. She's 12 and 9, and Ashley Yoder is 8 and 6. Currently, they got Angela Hill minus 400. The comeback on Ashley Yoder is plus 300. So, Shaq, uh, you think there's a situation where Angela Hill uh, 
is going to come out super hard in that first round, coast the next two and lose another split decision where she cries robbery, or is she simply levels ahead of Ashley Yoder still four years later? Yeah, you know, she should probably get the win here. She's much more active, better striker. Um, and, you know, this isn't a five-round fight, so she could probably do the uh, – I mean, she did lose the Gedalia, but Yoder isn't as strong, definitely not on that level. Um, only thing with Angela – is herself. I mean, I, I would say she's she's her biggest enemy, man. She uh, is on the impression that she's on a seven fight win streak, and oh you know God. she doesn't take she doesn't take any accountability for these losses. And I don't think she's improved as much as everyone claims that she has, man. I think honestly, it's the same thing, the same issues. I think she gasses out in a lot of fights. Um, luckily for her, Yoder just isn't on that level. I, I would say Yoder's. Best bet is to hope for an arm bar, uh, you know, a submission. Maybe Hill's coming in just, you know, to, you know, just to, uh, you know, like I was referring to with this seven-fight win streak nonsense. So, yeah, of course I'm going to pick Hill for the win, but I would never, ever, ever, ever play Angela Hill at a, at a line like that. And I just don't think she's improved as much as people think. I think she gassed out against uh, after she dropped Claudia Gadelia, I honestly thought she stopped fighting. And then the Michelle Watterson fight, she wins the first two rounds, and then she drops the last the last three. Against Yan Chownan, she wins the first round and then loses the next two. But 100% those girls are – Ashley Yoder's nowhere uh, in those girls' stratosphere. I mean, Ashley, I do think she's uh, trending in the right direction. Um, I actually did better her last fight against Miranda Granger, but Miranda Granger kind of sucks. Um Anna Granger's pregnant now. She looked she looked good against Livia Hanata Souza, but you know she still lost. And Angela Hill actually beat Livia a long time ago, so it's definitely uh, levels to this. So I, yeah, I'm gonna go with Hill for the decision win. Um, but I wouldn't be shocked if if Yoder made this fight a lot closer. Hill, she's uh, I don't know, man. She's just not the 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 prospect or the the fighter that I think everyone thinks she is. She she's gotten the, her little win streak before this the losing streak. She beat like little girls. Loma, I like Loma and for the future, but Loma's only got like five fights, um, or five or six fights at the time. She beat uh some other girl, uh, and Hannah Cipher. So uh, you know, let's not <laughs> let's not run to the uh, and say sit here and act like Angela Hill some some solidified top ten top fifteen fighter man. So I'll go with Hill for the win, but we'll see. Look, the first time they fought, Angela kind of doubled it up on strikes. She was taken down three times, but she survived all the bad spots. I mean, let's see if Ashley Yoder can take her down and have more success uh, this time around. But bottom line, I, I, I don't really think that their styles have changed too much. I think they're both more experienced and they're both better. They've developed, but at the core, they still fight the exact same way. We've seen this fight play out over a 15-minute duration. It was pretty clear uh, Angela Hill was landing at a higher rate. She was able to get back up from the takedowns, nullify any kind of damage. And I expect her to do a, a similar thing here. It's just, you know, minus 400 for Angela Hill. Um, you know, she, I think she's got a, uh, a losing UFC record. She's 12 and 9 overall. I, I don't trust her at that price. Um, for that price, I want an Aspinall type performance. I don't think we're getting that here. But I still think Angela Hill wins this fight, so I'll pick her. Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got Alexander Hernandez. He's 12 and 3, and Tiago Moises is 14 and 4. Currently, they got Alexander Hernandez minus 
235. The comeback on Tiago Moises is plus 200. So a lot of people are saying that Alexander Hernandez is a brand new man because he moved to Factory X. And listen, all due respect to Coach Montoya. I think he's a fantastic coach. And I do think that the fighters at Factory X got a great thing going on. However, I think that Alex Hernandez could have literally trained anywhere and knocked Chris Gritzmacher out in the first round. I think uh, he could have trained in my garage and knocked Chris Gritzmacher out. So to me, you know, this whole new man thing, guys, we haven't seen him past the two-minute mark since he's been there. So I would relax on all that because I highly doubt he gets Tiago Moises out of there in the first round. And Shaq, every single time Alexander Hernandez has been out the first round, shit has gotten extremely sketchy. So uh, that being said, you think Moises is improved enough to come out here and cash a plus two hundred ticket? This is a this is a good fight. He cashed a more than a plus two hundred ticket his last fight against against Bobby King Green, a big upset at the time. Uh, it didn't really surprise me because I've heard things about Tiago from you know certain top lightweights in the world, and they and they told me that Tiago is good. Like Tiago is solid. It's just a, a mental thing that's kind of been you know. He's been struggling with in the past. Uh, I mean, but man, when you look at Tiago's resume, Tiago's been testing, man. Tiago's been fighting real dudes for a very, very long time in that LFA scene. I know Hernandez was out there as well. They got some common opponents Darius, Jamal Emers. Um, so there's one other guy too. I can't, I forget, but um, I think, uh, I think this is a good fight. Yeah, Hernandez looked good his last fight, but like you said, I mean, I, I would hope that you look good against Chris Gritzmacher. <laughs> um, I would I would hope so. Uh, Chris Gritzmacher is a you give Chris Ma Chris Gritzmacher fifty thousand dollars plus his plus his uh, win bonus from the Lozon fight. I mean, he was coming off a torn ACL. I, me and you, me and you really know what Gritzmacher was up to uh, during that break. And you know, Hernandez looked good. He looked fast, but it was nothing out the blue to me. I mean, I I like the kid. He's tough you know, solid guy, but I think the story coming into this fight should be the improvements that Tiago Moises has been making. Tiago Moises has been somewhat of a, of a joke in the MMA community for a very long time because he has let people down in some spots in LFA. He, uh, and honestly in the UFC, I think he's as equally got thrown to the wolves just as equally, uh, equally as much as Alexander Hernandez did. You know, Hernandez, he beat Dariush and had to fight Cerrone and Trinaldo and Dober. Very tough competition. But when you look at Moises, he also started off with Dariush. Ismagulov in Russia or, you know, across seas. Like, was it in Russia or China? One of them spots. But Ismagulov, I know people don't know him, but Ismagulov, in my opinion, China. Is, in China, it was... Uh, it was he Ismagulov is a top 15 type 20 type of guy just that he doesn't really fight often and you know he's one of these Kazakhstani Russian mob guys and we we really don't see him that much so uh so I honestly think Moises's losses are understandable he's 20 he was 23 24 years old at the time of these losses he's 25 he's a lot more confident in himself I feel like that should be the story coming into this fight Alexander Hernandez I mean, you line up every lightweight on the roster. Trust me, they're knocking out Chris Grissomacher. <laughs> you know, no problem. They're gonna have a have a highlight real finish. I do think Hernandez is on the right track, but I just feel like this fight should be closer to a pick'em. I don't see Hernandez maybe give him a slight edge in the striking, but honestly, when you watch that tape on Moises, 
it's very rare where Moises takes a, a clean chin shot. I mean, this dude striking uh, fundamentals, you know, defense is, is on point. I mean, he gets them hands up to catch him clean on the chin is very hard. Ismagulov dropped him with a jab, got through the guard, but in, in terms of hooks and, and uh, overhands, I really don't see that happening uh, with Alex. I think he's really going to have to to dig deep, you know, win the grappling exchanges. Maybe Moises goes for some leg locks and he can get on top, you know, things like that. But honestly, I just think this fight should be a pick on more, maybe slight lean towards Hernandez, but I'm going with Moises here. I think he's the best in the best spot in his career. I think he's stronger than Alexander Hernandez, better jujitsu, and I think he's got some underrated boxing that he's progressively becoming more confident in. I mean, he was throwing against Bobby Green, the hardest that I've ever seen him. That first round was the best round in his career, in my opinion. And, you know, when he lost that second round, usually, historically, Tiago might have folded in situations like that in the past. But this time, he dug deep, and he won those grappling exchanges against Bobby Green, who we know can, can uh, you know, tussle with some of the best of them on the ground. So I think that Tiago Moises is in the best spot of his career. He's young. He's hungry. I think he's more powerful than uh, Alexander Hernandez. I kind of kind of compared him to, you know, like Gilbert Burns starting out in his career. He had power. He had jujitsu. He just needed the confidence, and I think he's he's getting that. So I don't think Hernandez is as good. Talent level is as good as people think. I just think he's a – I don't want to say an average guy, but there's just nothing out the blue that the dude brings to the table. Yeah, I mean, since since he's knocked out Dariush, He's knocked out Gritzmacher, but the other fight, he got exposed by Drew Dober. He got exposed by Donald Cowboy Cerrone. The Trinaldo fight was complete garbage. And I know that he's uh, at Factory X, but Tiago's at ATT. So, like, this is an even playing field, in my opinion, man. We don't, we're not moving to no new camps. We know, we know what camp we want to be at. So, I think uh, I'm going with Tiago Moises here. I'm going to say by, by decision. I think he breaks him in the late rounds. Yeah, I mean, this whole Alexander is a new man. It's like, how do you know? He was in there with Chris Gritzmacher for two minutes. And like I said, he could have trained in, in, in a fan of half the battle's garage and he would have knocked out Chris Gritzmacher in two minutes. So to me, that doesn't tell me shit. I need to know what happens if it goes past the first round. Look, if he becomes the first man in MMA history to knock out Tiago Moises, because Moises has had 18 pro fights and never been finished. If he does that, props to Alexander Hernandez. But I agree with you when you say that, look, Maybe minus 140 Hernandez, maybe a slight lean on Hernandez, but plus 200 Moises. This is a dogger pass situation, in, in my opinion. And Moises has been improved. And I agree with that because, again, I was never criticizing his hard kicks. I was never criticizing his jujitsu, his physique, his size for the weight class, his athleticism. That was never in question. It was always uh, the mentality. You know, sometimes. He'll let people tee off on him. He'll kind of cover up. He'll kind of back himself into the fence. And you don't want stuff like that, especially in the early going against Hernandez. But I got to say, that Bobby Green fight, don't just look at the stats. I know the stats say that Bobby doubled him up. But if you actually watch that fight, Bobby would kind of land a few shots. But then Moises would land one big one that would noticeably impact Bobby Green. It was quite clear that the most impactful shots of that fight were landed by Moises. And to take it a step further, when's the last time you saw someone pick Bobby Green up over their shoulder, walk him to the center of the octagon like Matt Hughes and slam him down? I, I, I haven't seen too many people do that to Bobby Green. Tiago Moises did that. And when the going got tough in the third round, 
he was able to dig deep. I've never seen Alexander Hernandez dig deep in the third round of a fight before. That OAM fight was really about what OAM did wrong because Alexander ran himself into the ground. OAM gets on top of Alexander, and all OAM has to do is keep that top position. He wins that round. You know what OAM does, Shaq? He drops back for a leg lock, gives up the top position. Now, look, I know Tiago Moises goes for leg locks too, but he's actually a black belt. This isn't you know OAM who is no longer with the company anymore. And with Moises... He's only 25 years old. He's just a kid, so he's going to be making these big improvements every time. Look, if this was a pick'em line or a slight lean on Hernandez, okay, that's one thing. Maybe my pick would be differently. It would be different, but you guys know price is everything. And I, I, I thought plus 185 Moises was kind of getting out of hand. I think plus 200. And this is a dogger pass situation. So if he gets past the first round, um, things are going to get very interesting, and he could be a live underdog here. So I'll go with Moises as well. Now, next up in the featherweight division, we got Alex Bruce Leroy Caceres. He's 17 and 12, and he's taking on Kevin Kroom, who's 21 and 12. Currently, they got Alex Caceres minus 190. The comeback on Kevin Kroom is plus 165. So it seems like Kevin Kroom is a very popular underdog pick this week. Um, you know, uh, he trains under James Krause. James Krause has been doing some good things with some with some fighters lately. Uh, not not to discredit James Krause, because I do think he's fantastic, but um, you know, a lot of the the fighters that have been improving under him, um, they've had very winnable matchups, whether it's Gina Mazzani fighting Rachel Ostovich. Rachel Ostovich not only has a losing UFC record, but has a losing MMA record overall. So a lot of these fighters, I, I don't I don't want to overrate, you know, their improvements at that gym because I do think James Krause is fantastic, but people are acting like he really changed his lives. Do you think he's going to uh, get Kevin Kroom or help Kevin Kroom get his second UFC win in a row here over a, uh, a serious vet that's been in the UFC over a decade, Shaq. Yeah, this fight reminds me of a lot of things. And I and I like how you said that about the whole glory MMA thing. I mean, just last week, MMA Masters was the high camp, and you've seen what happened there. So, you know, uh, you know, a, this could be another case of Kevin Krumi's from the hot camp. And look, I, this fight kind of reminds me of uh uh like just like Justin James versus Tucker or Justin James versus look Kevin Kroon came in on short notice and he got a very quick finish but the fight was less than a minute and one thing I want to say about that finish Roosevelt Roberts is trending down I know you guys have heard me say it uh, a couple times but look at just look at the shape Roosevelt was in look like you look like Roosevelt it was look I know I know I'm not saying I'm a mind reader, but from what to me it looked like Roosevelt's been rolling up a lot of blunts uh, up lately, Dan. And, and sometimes when you get carried away, you know uh, that's what happens. And one thing I say, man, I you know I told you this personally, but I thought Roosevelt quit against Jim Miller. I know Jim Miller's got a bevy of subs and he's 100%, but I didn't see enough fight out of that armbar. Uh, I think that uh, he just literally didn't fight it. Imagine if you put even guys like you know, uh, let's say a Frivola or just guys on that level. I mean, you're going to have to break their arm to get that arm bar, man. And I didn't see that from Roosevelt. But on a side note, man, Kevin Kroom, he had a good performance. And look, Kroom's tested. He fought Gaethje. He fought John Teixeira and Bellator. He uh, he lost those fights. But Kroom, in my opinion, man, is not that good. And I'm not saying he's UFC caliber, not UFC caliber, because he is. A t I think he's tougher than Justin James. Um it's just his skill set is one of these things where he's tough and he takes a lot of punishment and he moves forward, but he struggles. He's never going to win a fight 
for the most part by what you saw the last time. You know, the last time was something for him that doesn't usually happen. He's a grinder. He's a guy that is very, very ugly fighting style. Like I said, he takes a lot of damage. He lunges over. He overextends a lot. And I really was not impressed with Mr. Kevin Kroom. Um, Alex Caceres, look, yeah, he's had a shaky UFC record. But the reason I think this fight reminds me of James and, and, and Benitez or these guys is because, you know, Caceres kind of has a, a shaky UFC history. But, man, I truly believe that only a certain level of guys can can beat him. And I think that he's got the striking edge in this uh, matchup with the left hand and just his movements. Kevin Kroon makes a lot of – has got a lot of bad habits in the striking, man. Um, he's a tough kid. He's definitely tough, and we have seen dudes kind of get to Bruce Leroy in the past, and from a betting perspective, maybe minus 200, 190 is a little high for uh, a guy like Bruce Leroy who's got you know a bunch of losses. But, man, I truly believe that this might be the best spot Bruce Leroy has been in his career in a, in, a, in a long time. I mean, he's got three fights in a row, uh, won three fights in a row. He exposed Chase Super. He took care of Austin Springer, who – you know, I know Springer's a bum, but he did. He did. Uh, he did beat Giga Chikadze and finished him. So, uh, you know, I think uh, Alex Caceres is going to win this fight, man. I like Kevin Kroom. I like the whole, you know, gimmick that he brings to the table. But I just, I think that that last fight was more of Roosevelt Roberts not being ready to go, not being prepared to fight. Um, and I think Bruce Leroy is just going to touch him up for three rounds. Kind of saying he's had similar opponents like this in the past, whether it be a Steven Peterson or a, a, a Martin Bravo dudes that just move forward and take a lot of punishment. So I think he'll do well with this matchup. He seems the most mature he's ever been. I think the dude's like 30, 33 or 32 now. He's got kids. Um, Kevin Kroom, I think he's riding high off that confidence, but I think things are going to come back to reality on Saturday night, man. Man, I feel bad for Kevin Kroon because he comes in there on a day notice. He submits Roosevelt Roberts in 31 seconds, and then they take away his win and his performance bonus because he smoked a little weed. You know what I mean? It's uh, get, Give the man his 50K back. Give him his 10K win bonus back. Like, come on. Like, that's such bullshit that we're in 2021 and they're, uh, you know, doing fighters like that still. Because he beat Roosevelt Roberts fair and square. But to your point, um, this whole new man thing, I, I think it's a bit exaggerated. I mean, don't get me wrong. If he comes out here, submits Caceres in the first round, I I I'll be happy for him. He's had a long road. I mean, we're talking about a guy who made his MMA debut in 2009. But when you, when you look at it like that, Caceres has been in the UFC since 2010. Caceres has been in the UFC over 10 years. He's been there. He's done that. And there's a big difference in the level of competition. I mean, Alex Caceres was out here going to a split decision with guys like Yair Rodriguez. He's also won three of his last four, whereas Kevin Kroom, one fight ago, he was going to to split with uh, Bilal's protege, uh, Adil Benjelani, who much respect to Adil, but Adil is only like five and two. Adil is still a baby in this game. Alex Caceres has been in the UFC over a decade. There, there's just a big difference here in uh, the level of competition. And um, I think Alex Caceres performs, you know, he opened minus 300 for a reason. I get it. We love the 30 second finishes. And, you know, it was a great story to see Kevin Kroom come out there and get, you know, a big win over Roosevelt Roberts. But yeah, I, I, uh, I kind of don't see that happening again, man. And if the fight gets extended, um, I actually think it edges Alex Caceres there. So I'm gonna go with Bruce Leroy as well. 
Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, we got a rematch between Pedro Pedrinho Munoz. He's 18 and 5, and Jimmy Rivera is 23 and 4. Currently, they got Jimmy Rivera minus 150. The comeback on Pedro Munoz is plus 130. So the first time they fought in Brazil, I bet on Jimmy Rivera at dog odds um, in Brazil. It was a split decision. It was a hell of a fight. Both men dropped each other. They went to war for three straight rounds. Unbelievable fight. Now they rematch, uh, but it's on U.S. soil this time. So does that mean Pedro's winning a split here, Shaq? It's going to be a good fight. Jimmy Rivera looked good his last fight, but we can't forget Cody Stamen isn't known for his punching power. Cody Stamen is a point fighter. That was a that was a good fight to come back to uh, for Jimmy Rivera. Very smart. He avoided that Cheeto fight very uh, very wisely. You know, he said, "Let me for my comeback fight, let me get a guy that doesn't hit too hard." So props to Jimmy. But man, look on a on a side note, Jimmy and these two guys are some of the best bantamweights in the last few years. Jimmy Rivera, I mean, at one point. He was on quite the incredible run. He beat Uriah Faber. He beat Pedro Munoz. He beat Tomas, uh, Tomas Almeida. Was one fight away from a title fight. Got a little bit carried away. And we know what Magic Marlon Marais did to him that night in Atlantic City. And Pedro Munoz, you know, this fight kind of reminds me. Uh, this is like the, the typical recency bias. Like Pedro Munoz. He, he cost a lot of people big his last fight. And, you know, when I rewatch it, I still think Pedro edged it, but you know, he, he messed up in the he, he messed up in the, the last round particularly. I mean, he got touched up significantly in that last round. And it's his fault to blame. He didn't go out there. Uh, I mean, he didn't go out there and, and, and run through Frankie Edgar. I think we put a lot of pressure on him in that spot. But um, Jimmy Rivera, I'm not ready to say he's quite back just yet. I, I still see uh issues with that chin and, and it's just i don't want to pay chalk for, for this type of spot this is going to be a dog fight man and dude this is two, both of these dudes are going to be bloodied up and and black eyes and and swollen up after this fight and both dudes are going to get wobbled i just think it should be a pick em personally i know people are still mad at pedro because he uh he messed up that last spot but man i don't ever has he ever lost two in a row no, and he was minus 260 there. He's a dog here. And he actually yeah. lost, he's coming off two losses in a row. Okay, so he actually has lost two in a row because he lost to a Sterling, right? Yeah, so um, he's only lost to the top two guys. I, I think Pedro's going to be really desperate on Saturday night. He's going to – Jimmy's going to have to, to uh, weather a storm, but we know Pedro's weakness is he just doesn't move his head off the center line, and he, he gets touched a lot. Um, it's just that Jimmy Rivera – he might be doing good, but I could see another similar uh, situation like the Peter Yan fight. And I think this is slightly, yes, Jimmy Rivera definitely landed punches on Peter Yan, 100%. But, like, I mean, it's Jimmy Rivera. What is he not going to land a punch in a fight? Like, I think that Jimmy Rivera's weakness is, you know, he'll be doing good, but then he'll lose focus and he'll get dropped. And, you know, that, that's going to be uh, for minus 150 or whatever it is, minus 140, whatever. I think uh, I'd rather just play a pick 'em or a dog uh, or a dog type of price. I think you could be slightly overpaying for Jimmy Rivera in this spot. I think Pedro Munoz is very, very hungry. He he's actually been training with Peter Jan um, at American Top Team, um, so we'll see what happens. I'm gonna go with Pedro Munoz. Actually, I think he's gonna come out here and, and get the win. Uh, Jimmy Rivera is a very good fighter, but like I said, I think the Cody Stamen fight was a good fight to come back to. How many, how many knockouts? And then, you know, I see a lot of people saying Pedro's an overrated uh, power puncher. 
just because, you know, Cody, it was more of Cody Garbrandt put a stunt, which I agree. I agree. But we can't forget about the Rob Font fight. You know, they say Rob Font's one of the, the best boxer at 135. I mean, Rob Font was putting his hand up like this, Daniel, uh, <laughs> when he was in there with, with Pedro Munoz after getting clipped with some of those shots on the nose, man. So uh, I'm going to go with Pedro Munoz here. So, look, on one hand, I understand why people are pissed that, you know, Pedro could have done could have did a little more against Edgar. And I know a lot of us were expecting a finish. But now people are taking it to a point where they're discrediting the Cody Garbrandt win, saying, you know, this guy doesn't really have knockout power. It's more because Cody made a bonehead mistake. Whereas I'm thinking to myself, like, didn't I watch Pedro Munoz chop him down with calf kicks to a point where Cody basically had to say, fuck it? I mean, listen, I actually think Cody might have made a smart decision because if he didn't say fuck it in that instance, he wasn't going to be able to walk for the rest of the fight. So it was do or die. Unfortunately, it didn't go his way, but I know exactly. It's not like he just randomly decided to go full kamikaze. There was a specific reason why he did what he did. And the reason why was because he was getting chopped down with calf kicks, which is what Pedro Munoz brings to the table. And then you want to take it a step further. If you're still questioning the knockout power of Pedro Munoz, I think we can all agree that Rob Font is considered one of the best boxers at 135 pounds. Why is Rob Font one of the best boxers at 135 pounds shooting a takedown on Pedro Munoz, one of the best guillotine artists at 135 pounds. The reason why is because Pedro Munoz cracked him so damn hard that Rob Font actually decided to shoot on him, which, I mean, if that doesn't tell you how hard Pedro Munoz hits, then I don't have any more examples for you. But what I will say is go watch Jimmy versus Pedro one. Both guys dropped each other. Both guys rocked each other. And I bet, on Jimmy the first time, and he was a dog. The second time, you know, it was a split decision, and split decisions, you got to take the dog. The question is, is it going to be a split decision type fight again? Listen, I'm slightly edging Jimmy. I think he's the cleaner guy, and I understand that Pedro strikes at a higher volume, but what I'm most worried about is Pedro's strike defense. Now, listen, I know Pedro's got a way better chin than Jimmy. You know, Pedro's never been knocked out. Pedro rarely gets dropped. Um, but Pedro eats a lot of shots too. And this goes to the scorecards. Pedro historically doesn't do good with guys that can weasel decisions, whether we're talking about the first Jimmy fight, whether we're talking about the Dodson fight, the Edgar fight, and then here again against Jimmy. If this goes to the scorecards, I got Jimmy Rivera. If this ends inside the distance, however, that's where I would kind of lean towards uh, Pedro. I think he's got more finishing potential in the spot, but I'll go with Jimmy to, to slightly edge a decision here. But it could get very sketchy. So I feel where you're coming from, uh, Shaq. Featured bout in the flyweight division. We got Montana De La Rosa. She's 11 and 6. And Myra Shitara Bueno Silva is 7 and 1. Currently, they got Myra Myra Bueno Silva minus 140. The comeback on Montana De La Rosa is plus 120. So I'm very familiar with both ladies. Uh, shout out to Myra Bueno Silva. So it's interesting. When she fought Marina Moroz, that was actually the first event uh, since the pandemic started. That was the first ever UFC event where there was no crowd. It was uh, Kevin Lee versus Charles Oliveira. And the reason I bring up that there was no crowd is because um, the fight was in Brazil. And we know at the time we hadn't fully accepted the fact that Marina Moroz was a brand new woman up a weight class. I still kind of viewed her as like, you know, the tennis sounds uh, lady. And I was thinking to myself, well, with no crowd here, the judges are definitely going to hear those tennis sounds. So if this goes to decision, Marina's got a good chance. So I bet Marina at the dog price. And when I tell you that I had to sweat 
every single stand-up exchange, Shaq. I mean, Myra Shitara hit so damn hard. I was worried about Marina Moroz, uh, someone that was on the Ukrainian boxing team. I was worried about her getting knocked out. The biggest issue with Myra Bueno Silva is um, her takedown defense, but she's very confident in uh, in her grappling abilities. I mean, she submitted uh, Jillian Robertson. She also submitted Mara Barella and on Contender Series. She submitted that opponent, too. So she can submit a lot of these girls in the first round. Um, against uh, Marina Moroz, you know, she kind of got out experienced. But man, like I like I said already, every stand up exchange had me on the edge of my seat, had me sweating. And Montana De La Rosa, as we spoke about uh, off air, bleeds in a lot of fights, and we know that she's susceptible to taking damage, and she's gonna take some hard shots in this fight. I got to give uh, Montana De La Rosa a lot of credit though, because I believe she might have moved to Colorado. Her last performance, despite it being a loss, I thought was a step in the right direction. I think she is improving, and I think she can actually get takedowns in this fight. You know, um, Mayra Bueno Silva has been taken out in all three of her UFC fights, but I don't think that once it hits the mat, it's just as simple as Montana passing her guard and dominating. I think she will have some spots, but overall, I think the more damaging shots are going to be landed by Mayra Bueno Silva. I think that Mayra is good enough on the mat to either get back up or potentially attack with submissions of her own. So... Ultimately, I'm going to go with Mayra Bueno Silva to, to win a decision here by just landing the more impactful shots, Shaq. Yeah, this is a good fight. De La Rosa definitely improved, but one thing I want to say about that VV fight, I kind of almost feel like VV was carrying her through that fight, if you can kind of get what I'm trying to say. As a, like, I think De La Rosa looked good looked the best she had to just because, I mean, she had no other choice. I mean, VV was coming at her with some uh, serious footwork, some serious bombs, and, you know, she definitely landed, you know, her striking technique looked the best, I guess it has, because in the past, uh, she's been kind of harmless on the feet, not been able to to mix it up. So, yeah, I, I would agree that uh, she's going in the right direction. I know she moved to a uh, Colorado, but I, I want to say one thing as well. The last two girls from that camp uh, to fight got absolutely dominated. I'm not saying that that's going to happen here, but Mallory Martin and um, and and Shayna Dobson both got finished uh, very easily. And and Montana De La Rosa, she's got that nose problem. That nose gushes the second it gets hit. Um, I mean, you go look in the Nico Montano fight in, in the Tough House, face covered in blood. Uh, the Andrea Lee fight, face covered in blood. The last fight, face covered in blood. Um, when she fights anyone that inflicts any type of damage, that face will be covered in blood. And, you know, she's not fighting Mary Barella or these soccer uh, Ostevich and and uh, whoever she's been fighting, man. But I forget the other one. But uh, Nadia Kasim, Nadia, you know Nadia Kasim, like. You know where she can just come out here and get the takedown. She's gonna have to fight. And one thing I I do agree, Bueno Silva has given up the takedowns. But one thing I felt like she made progress with in the Marina Moroz fight. The longer that fight kept going in that third round, she actually did start to sprawl. She did start to to stuff some of those takedowns. And on the feet, Mara Bueno Silva. This is where you know your take on the uh, the power versus you know, volume side, this is where I think that might come into play. Myra Bueno Silva just flat out hits harder than, than Montana De La Rocha, and she's willing to take more chances than Montana. Um, than Montana. Montana. I think Montana's in the direction, but I still see this half commitment, this 
not full commitment. She's got to get in there. If she wants to win this fight, she's going to have to stand in that pocket and really take some shots and dish them back. And uh, Bueno Silva, even on the feet, there's some holes. She kind of uh, likes to telegraph her strikes a little bit too much, set them, you know, give them, give the tells away a little bit too much. But I think that if she can touch that nose of Montana De La Rosa, that thing will burst. And uh, I do see blood, you know, spewing out. And I don't think once that happens that Montana De La Rosa is going to be able to, to get those takedowns anymore. I think she's going to start thinking about that. That commitment issue will even be, uh, be more of a factor. So I think Myra Buena Silva is going to come out here uh, I think the the takedown thing can be worked on. I mean, she's very young in her career. Um, I think as long if that if that hole is even somewhat patched up, I feel like this line could be even wider for Maya Bueno Silva. So I'm going with Maya Bueno Silva for the win. I like De La Rosa, but I see this. Com I see a commitment issue. I think that uh, VV carried her through that last fight. Um, so we'll see. But I'm going with uh, Maya Bueno Silva. And before we talk about the co-main event, everybody do us a favor, give this video a like and a subscribe we truly appreciate it co-main event of the evening in the light heavyweight division we got nikita the minor krilov he's 27 and 7 and magomed and Khalif is 14 and 1 currently they got magomed and Khalif minus 350 the comeback on nikita krilov is plus 285 so krilov uh we already know that 27 wins 25 finishes 15 submission wins 10 knockout wins i mean the guy is a finisher. Most of his fights end inside the distance. Magomed and Khalif, he hasn't fought anybody in the top 10 up until now. This will be his first top 10 opponents, but a lot of people refer to him as a, a future top five guy or a future champion. And actually, he's been doing this camp with Coach Nixick, who a lot of his guys have been doing great. You see what he did with Dalcha Lunjambula. You see what he did with Sergey Spivak, uh, with the Hawaiian guys he's got, Pulina, Brad Tavares. Even Maki Batolo in a loss looked the best he's ever looked. So I'm curious to see how Magomed Ankaliva performs as well. So Shaq, uh, do you think uh, Magomed Ankaliva is ready to break into the top 10 here against uh, the toughest opponent of his career? Yeah, not only did he go to Vegas, but the whole the, even the coaches from uh... – Team Garrett's made the trip down because apparently Magomedi really likes it in Las Vegas at uh, Extreme Couture. He said he likes the camp, so his coaches from the the Garrett's fight team they came out of, they came out as well and uh, they got this big fight with Krylov. Look, I actually met Krylov before, man. The dude's a very nice guy. Uh, you know, he's very imposing, big dude. We know his ground game, and he's well. I mean, very very experienced for his age, man. Um, I mean, we know that he left the UFC at one point, got some wins up there in Fight Nights uh, Global. Then he comes back, and then he's only lost one fight to uh, the champ, the legendary Polish power, my boy Jan Blakowicz, by submission. Other than that, he's taken care of business. So, um, in his last fight against Johnny Walker, I mean, that was a that was a good fight. Uh, I definitely think Ankalaev's got a better chin than Johnny Walker and, and better grappling defense as well. Um, I think Johnny Walker is kind of at this point, I think we know the deal with him. Um, so yeah, look, I get it from the, from the eye. You're like Krylov plus two, what is it? Plus 260, 70, it's 285, 285. I get it. You're like, Holy shit. Are you kidding me? I'll never get a line like that. across. The reason why it's like that is because if this goes to the cards, it is, I, I don't want to say it's an automatic win for, 
Ankalaev, but I think it's very close to it. I think Ankalaev has the much more professional approach. Uh, doesn't it's just hard to he doesn't give you much to go off of, and I think that's honestly kind of uh, could cause Nikita to take chances and you know maybe roll off the back, find himself in bad positions, and on the feet it's going to be hard to to get to Ankalaev. He he just doesn't really make that many mistakes. Uh, he's very fundamental. He's very technical. And I think he's the more capable fighter here. So I am going to pick him for the win. I understand it's a very wide line, but I think it's just due to the fact that Magomed Ankalaev has more ways to win. I think um, he can win this fight by decision, knockout. Uh, and I just feel like Nikita, he has to get this sub. Uh, you know, he has to... We know that Ankalaev did get subbed by Paul Craig in one of the most bizarre. Look, I, I don't, I can't explain it. I don't know what happened. <laughs> but like, I don't know what happened. I, I thought he could hold on for one second. Props to Paul Craig. Um, so look, if something like that happens again, we'll see. But I think he's learned his mistakes. Um, I like the Extreme Couture guys. I just think that Nikita Krylov in this particular matchup has a, is going to have a very loose fighting style, one that Ankalaev can uh, exploit and just kind of control him via Russian coast or even get a knockout. So I'm going with Ankalaev. Yeah, I mean, listen, I understand that Ankalaev hasn't fought anybody in the in the top ten yet. This will be his first time, so this is considered a step up in competition. But I feel like. He's had the proper seasoning. I mean, look, I he I understand he cost a lot of people a lot of money on that Paul Craig fight, but I feel like he's had a lot. He's had five chances to rebound since then, man. And I, and I think that he's been handling his opponents accordingly. And I've always been a fan of Nikita Krilov. I mean, we saw him fight Ed Herman in Atlanta. We saw him uh, fight Ovin St. Peru in Atlanta. So when he comes to Atlanta, he gets second round finishes. So I hope he comes back once uh, you know the UFC starts traveling again uh, to places that are not named Las Vegas and Abu Dhabi. So we'd love to have him back here. Good guy. And obviously, very exciting to watch. And Nikita Krilov is one of these guys that the hardcore fans really get behind. Because I know you remember the Al Capone nickname, and now he changed it to the minor. And just his exciting fighting style it used to be a thing where he had never gone to a decision before in his life until the Glover Teixeira fight. And then the Johnny Walker fights his only decision win. And even though the Teixeira fight was a loss, I felt like it was actually a step in the right direction because, you know, Glover's about to probably fight for a title here soon. But it wasn't like Nikita got dominated. I thought he showed some goods. I thought he showed that he's improving. And he showed that he can go the distance too. It's just it seems to me like Magomed probably can go to the top five down the line. And now, you know, for him, for a Russian to not train in Russia and to come to the United States, that means there there must be some pretty damn good training here with Coach Nixick. So I understand people thinking the line is wide, but ultimately I think the Krilov ticket is probably not cashing. So I'm going to go with uh, Magomed Ankaliev. I just like the fact that, man, his defense is so on point. Um, He defends near 70 strikes Uh. Uh, 70% of the strikes thrown at him, and he doesn't absorb that many strikes at all. And then when he lands his offense, he's vicious. Just needs to make sure not to get into any precarious spots on the mat, and he should win this fight. So I'll go with Ankaliev. Main event of the evening in the heavyweight division, we got Jairzinho, Biggie Boy, Rosenstruck. He's 11-1, and and Cyril Ghana is 7-0. and Currently, they got... Uh, Cyril Ghana minus 265. The comeback on Rosenstrike is plus 225. So similar to Krilov, we also saw Rosenstrike fight, fight in Atlanta. Or not in Atlanta, actually. We went to uh, Greenville. We saw him knock out Alan Crowder in like nine seconds. 
vicious, vicious KO, Shaq. I like Rosenstrike a lot, man. You know, I've always referred to him as either a future top 10 guy. Now he's now he's in the top 10. He's number four in the world. And I, I think, you know, he's the top five guy. He's the top 10 guy. I've always regarded him as such. With Gone, though, the possibility crossed my mind that maybe this guy could fight for a title down the line. Um, he's definitely got a presence about him. He's got the size. He's six foot five with the 81 inch reach. He's well rounded, too. For a guy that comes in there with a kickboxing uh, background, he wins his first two UFC fights via submission, um, an arm triangle against a Brazilian, and he got a heel hook his very next fight, too. And he was destroying the guy up until then. The heel hook was just to add insult to injury. So he, he's a unique character, man. And then obviously knocked out Junior Dos Santos nicely. There was no uh, controversy on that elbow. That was a legit knockout, and he was styling on him uh, prior to that. So my biggest concerns are that Cyril Gan fights with his hands down. Rosenstrike is a devastating counter striker. I mean, his leaping left hook is money. His his kick returns are on point. It, the the biggest criticism for Jerzinho is that sometimes he comes back in some of his fights. Like for example, the Junior Albini fight was kind of getting dominated on the mat, but as soon as they got back up, he knocks him unconscious. The Alistair Overeem fight, a lot of people think he was a couple seconds away from losing a decision, comes back and wins that. The Junior Dos Santos fight. Now, I personally thought that Rosenstrike won the first round, but a lot of people are under the impression that Dos Santos won the first round. So there's kind of a trend with coming back in these fights. And I feel like if you get off to a bad lead against a guy like Cyril Gunn, you give this guy an inch, he will take a, he will take a mile. So I'm worried about Rosenstrike falling back on the cards in this spot and that Gunn can kind of can kind of just... Uh, not necessarily pick him apart because I think that Gon is going to play it safe, but Gon's the more well-rounded guy here, not just in terms of you know all areas of the game, but even in the striking realm. I feel like he mixes in more tools, the front kicks, the knees, the elbows, everything, whereas Rosenstrike, it's really, I mean, he's got all the tools, but you got to watch out for that left hook and that kick and that right kick uh, more than anything else. So I think that Rosenstrike has a knockout potential, but if he doesn't get the knockout, I can see him lose by any three of the methods, whether it's knockout, submission, or decision. So I'm going to have to go with Cyril Ghana. I do think he is the real deal. It's something that uh, stands out about him. I respect Rosenstrike, of course, but I'll go with Ghana here to get it done, Shaq. Yeah, this is a good fight because Ghan definitely got some good physical attributes. I mean, he's big. He's very bouncy, very uh, very agile for sure. I mean, one definitely one of the more agile heavyweights I've seen in a, in quite some time. Um, definitely worried about them hands down, but his range is his range is very good. He he hasn't really been tested in that realm with a guy that can can time a quick counter shot. I mean, we know Junior Dos Santos is completely washed. We know Dante Mays kind of sucks. We know Bozer <laughs> is average. We know uh, Hudifa Pessoa. I mean, these guys are definitely uh, not up to par. Uh, with Jarzino, with Jarzino, it's kind of man. What I would kind of say with this fight is, it's like I think that the the longer, not I don't want to say the longer this fight goes, but I think with Jarzino, you're kind of just gonna be basically waiting on a on a good counter. I think that Gon's like you know probably gonna be you know taking the center of the octagon, leading the dance, moving forward, throwing the kicks, the volume. Um, and I think that Rosenstrike, we are we've seen him in this kind of mode where he kind of the volume is very low. He's waiting on that perfect counter, but he's very good at those perfect counters. Uh, I know people say the Alistair Overeem stoppage was 
was uh, premature. But, I mean, look at that fight. Overeem was doing his thing, dominating up 3-1, 4-0 in some people's minds, and one little mistake, boom. Um, so we still don't know how Surreal Gun is going to react when he gets that that uh, you know that perfect shot on the chin. But I do think that he'll probably control majority of the fight just by taking the center. I mean, Rosenstrike, he backs up a lot, and um, he kind of sticks to – you know, just the ba the basic, uh, you know, kickboxing hand combinations. But, I mean, they're solid. They're good fundamentally. And, and I mean, look at where they've gotten them. His only losses to Francis and Gannon. So, yeah, I do think that this line could be lined a little bit closer. But I, I agree with Gon being the favorite, man. Dude, big, fast, bouncy. Uh, I mean, you don't see heavyweights bouncing around like that. Um, I am worried, though, that, you know, you know I, I have been on the record to say, you know the they those guys do have their French moment from time to time, and let's see if Ghana if Ghana has his because Francis had his, and you know Francis had a couple of them. So we'll see. Uh, I know my boy Nasser Dean had one last week. I know people think uh, Nasser Dean uh, Nasser Dean won that fight, but you know it is what it is. Uh, he didn't have a French moment. I'm just talking shit, but I think uh, I'm gonna go with Ghana here. But I'm gonna say by a close decision. I think that he will get cracked at some point, but. You know, I'm not saying the guy's going to go out unconscious, but um, this is definitely going to be a more charged up fight than his previous. You know, this is not a Tanner Boser. This is not uh, Junior Dos Santos or Dante King Kong, mate. Like, come on. Like, this is uh, this is the real deal, man. So we'll see. But I'm going to go with Gone by unanimous decision. Well, Shaq, now we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So what is the fight to watch for UFC Vegas 20, Shaq? Uh, my fight to watch is going to be Alexander Hernandez versus Tiago Moises, the lightweight division. Both these guys are right side that top 15. The winner should get a, should get a big fight next. Both guys uh, seem to, they say they're, they say one of them's, you know, improving at a, at a very rapid rate and Moises has kind of flown under the radar. So, We'll, we'll see what happens on Saturday night. That but the two lightweights, those are my, that's my fight to watch. Yeah, definitely one of the fights to watch for me. My fight to watch is uh, in the welterweight division between Alex Oliveira, Alex Cowboy, taking on the new, newcomer Ramazan Kuramagomedov. We've known about Ramazan for years now. We've said, man, this guy is talented. He will be in the UFC one day. And not only is he making his debut Saturday, but uh, he's not getting a cupcake uh, for his debut fight when he takes on the established veteran alex Oliveira. so for that reason alex cowboy versus ramazan kuramagomedov is my fight to watch Shaq, who is your fighter to watch for ufc vegas 20. my fighter to watch is gonna be uh surreal gone man i mean they they say he's a few they've been saying he's a future champion for quite some time and he's got a top four opponent uh you know they kind of been saying that he's had a He's been not picking his opponents, but, you know, fav definitely favorable matchups up until this point. But the Rosenstrike, I mean, if you beat Rosenstrike, you're about one shot away from the one shot away from the title. And I want to see what happens if Coach uh, Ferdinand, uh, what's his name, Fernand, Ferdinand. I want to see what happens. Fernand Lopez. Fernand. I want to see what, what he does when, when they match up Gon and Ngannou possibly down the line. I mean, where does his loyalty lie? Uh, you know, so I think uh, – I think that uh, that's he's my fighter to watch. He could possibly be the next big heavyweight star. So his loyalty would a hundred percent be with Cyril Gan because uh, Francis trains in Vegas. So, but I mean, he dis he discovered the kid, man. It's like, yeah. I mean, they had a falling out though. Sure, damn, I didn't know all that shit. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
he said it in an interview with james lynch so yeah i wonder what happened behind the scenes i know we know francis has pulled stunts before um and we know the title fight is coming up shack is you know you think francis is going to go to paris two weeks before this one this wait, he fell out with him recently uh, that interview came out like a month or two ago damn jesus is he is he doing it again <laughs> <laughs> is he doing he it might again? be <laughs> At least he's with Coach Nixick, so we'll we'll see what happens. But my fighter to watch is Mayra Bueno Silva. Um, her knockout power really stands out. She's got a lot of first round uh, submission wins. I think that she's a very violent fighter. I think she's exciting. I think that she could be a contender in that division. But she's got to get past this test here with Montana De La Rosa. I'm definitely going to be paying attention to what Mayra Bueno Silva does. Uh, she is my fighter to watch. Well, Shaq, thank you uh, for joining me here. All the fans, thank you for joining us on this very special edition of Half the Battle. Do us a favor. Give this video a like and a subscribe. We truly appreciate it. You can follow Shaq at MMA Genius 05. You can follow me at Best Fight Picks. Go to bestfightpicks.com. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify, all the places where we are available. A big shout out to our sponsor, Manscaped. Make sure you'll go to manscaped.com. Use that promo code BATTLE20 for 20% off and free shipping. Thank you, Manscaped. Thank you to our fans. Um, and, and thank you, everybody at home listening. We'll be back next week. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.